0: Well, the headlines in the newspapers this week said it all. Furious RBS boss is set for £9.6 million payday. State-controlled Royal Bank of Scotland sparked fury this week when it emerged that new chief executive Stephen Hester is to be awarded a pay package worth up to £9.6 million. Union leaders reacted with anger at such a large pay deal, given the disastrous losses of the bank, the controversy surrounding the pension of the previous chief executive, along with predictions that many of their staff face redundancy. Others, however, pointed out that the salary package was on a par with others in similar positions, and that the difficulty of reviving the fortunes of RBS meant that anyone taking on the task would require lucrative incentives. But both opponents and supporters of the deal are in no disagreement about one thing, that the person heading up the bank will need to be someone with great abilities and extensive experience which Mr Hester possesses. There are some jobs which are even bigger than the chief executive of one of the world's largest banks. President of the United States of America would be near the top of the list. But there was and is a task that was far greater than all of these. To head a mission which bring in God's kingdom on earth, to change the whole course of history, and to bring it to its final conclusion. And the person who inaugurated that kingdom was none other than God's son, born as a baby in Bethlehem. At the age of 30, Jesus of Nazareth launched his public mission with these words, the kingdom of God has arrived. But... To carry out that mission on earth, he chose to use human help. What is remarkable and amazing is the people he chose. The kind of people he chose. He chose them not for what they were, but for what they would become. For what he would make them. And this was most evident in the man who would become the leader of the group. A fisherman named Simon, whom Jesus gave a new name, which would fit his future mission. Peter, a rock. So, under this title, From Simon to Peter, let's look together at this process, which I think should be an encouragement to every one of us here. We'll begin by focusing on the first encounter recorded in the four Gospels, Between Jesus and Peter. You'll find it in John's Gospel. It really will help this evening to have a Bible because we're going to be looking at different passages. So if you haven't got a Bible, just reach over as people are already doing and make sure you've got a Bible in front of you. And we're going to read a few verses from John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. It's page 1064 if you have a pew Bible. Let's start at verse 35. The next day, John, that's John the Baptist, the one who inaugurated, was the herald of Jesus' coming. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning round, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come he replied, and you'll see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. Oh, this is God's word. You know, first meetings are often very important. Go to almost any wedding. We had a wonderful wedding yesterday. And somewhere in the speeches, you will hear usually about when the happy couple first met. Ask almost any married person, and they will tell you when they first met. Or if they can't remember, they won't admit it, but <laughs> I can tell you when my wife and I first met, but you want to hear that story this evening. But uh, Simon, the man in this story, first met Jesus through his brother, Andrew. Now, I did a quick count. It's great, isn't it, with computer technology on, and, and, and concordances and Bibles and everything else. So I sort of put in Peter, Simon Peter. I got 166 mentions in the New Testament. We know an awful lot about this man. He did. What he said and even what he wrote. Then I put in Andrew i got just 13 mentions, most of them in lists of names. We know little of what Andrew did. We only know of two things that he said. The first thing we know about what he did is this. Andrew met and followed Jesus. Having met Jesus, the next thing he did was to tell his brother about Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ. The word Messiah is the Hebrew word, Christ is the Greek word, means the anointed one, God's appointed deliverer. The Jewish people have been expecting for centuries. And then he brought his brother to Jesus. Then he brought Simon to Jesus, verse 42. Now, we're going to focus on Peter, but before we turn to Simon Peter, don't overlook the importance of Andrew to the story, to his story. There are probably hundreds of Andrews for every Peter. Yet most Peters need an Andrew to bring them Jesus, to tell them about Jesus. And can I suggest that almost any of us here, if you're a Christian, if you've met Jesus, if you know Jesus, you can be an Andrew to bring someone you know to Jesus to tell them about Jesus. You may think, I've I've not got great gifts. I couldn't stand up in the pulpit. Couldn't sing a solo, play the guitar, whatever. But you could simply say to someone, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me introduce you to Jesus. You could bring them to a place where they can hear about Jesus. In his commentary on John, uh, Don Carson writes of Andrew, he thus became... The first in a long line of successors who have discovered that the most common and effective Christian testimony is the private witness of a friend to a friend, brother to a brother. And maybe you can be part of that long line. So, Andrew's talking to his brother about Jesus, and he brings his brother to Jesus. And of that first and vital encounter... We only know what is recorded in John 142, which is kind of our focus verse for this evening. So look at John 142. It's a really important verse. It's got two parts. The first thing Jesus said to Peter. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You'll be called Kepha. Translated, is Peter. What Jesus said summarizes the whole future life of Peter. And it contains within it, Two elements of every encounter with Jesus, even today. The first thing we always start with is who we are. Look again at the first phrase. Jesus said, you are Simon, son of John. Andrew brings his brother to Jesus. Just imagine the scene. I don't know if he said, Jesus, this is my brother. Peter? Peter? We don't know that Jesus shook him by the hand and said, How do you do? or oh, whatever they said in that kind of culture. What we do know is that when he brought him to Jesus, it says very interestingly, did you notice what it says? It says, Jesus looked at him. Word translated look there means to study closely, to look over carefully. Face to face, he kind of looked at him gazed into his heart. His gaze is penetrating and knowing. The order of service for communion in the Church of England prayer book, Cranmer's Prayer Book, begins with a prayer which opens with these words. It's often a good reminder, I think it's a wonderful prayer. It begins, Almighty God, to whom all hearts be open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. Jesus is the Son of God. And he sees the man before him. He knows who he is. He knows all about him. He looks at him and he says, you're Simon, son of John. Jesus sees Simon as he is. He says, as it were, Simon, I know all about you. I know your name, your background, your circumstances, your character. You can't hide from me. You can't pretend to be something You're not. And every encounter with Jesus, genuine encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ by His Spirit, begins with the realisation that we come to a God who knows everything about us. You see, ever since our first parents disobeyed God and went their own way, what was the first thing they did? They tried to cover up and then they tried to hide from God. And ever since that, we go through life, covering up, hiding our real selves, pretending to be something else. But we'll never make any progress until we see who we really are. But we've got a problem. We are self-deluded. That is part of our sinful nature. Prophet Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things. Beyond cure, who can know it? Jeremiah 17.9. But when we encounter Jesus, we meet someone who knows who we are, All pretense is stripped away, and that is very disconcerting. Now, maybe you think to yourself, well, thank goodness he's not around today. I wouldn't like to meet someone like that who knows all about me. But God still exposes who we are. How does he do it? Well, before Jesus left earth, in those final instructions, he told his disciples that when he was gone, he would send someone like himself to earth. It's... John 16, 7-9. He said, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. counsellor is the word he used for the Holy Spirit. If I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, this is what he'll do. He'll convict. And the word convict translated there means expose what is hidden. He will... In regard to sin and righteousness and judgment when the message about jesus is truly proclaimed or read with an open heart and mind the holy spirit uses it to convict us to expose our guilt we see who we are lost sinners rebels against god in terrible danger can i say something kindly to you that if you've never felt like that then it may be that you're not really a true christian If you think, well, I'm not perfect, but who is? I'm sure I'll be okay because I'm as good as most people. Then you've never really encountered Jesus. The element of seeing ourselves as we really are in great need is always present in any genuine encounter with Jesus. However, the discovery that God knows all about us is not only disconcerting, it's also encouraging. You may realize, well, God does know all about me. And about my sinfulness. And you may feel you're not fit to become a Christian, and you're right. You may then go away and say, I'll not come back till I'm fit. The great danger with that is you will never come back because you will never be fit. Jesus didn't look at Simon and say, you're Simon, son of John. Goodness me. Oh dear, I'm I'm sorry. I, I can't really use someone like you, but... Uh, please go away and sort out your life, and maybe in a few years you could become my follower and I could find some small job for you. No, Jesus sees Simon as he is, but he does not reject him. And that's a great encouragement for all of us. You know, I guess most of us we would run out of this place in terror and in shame. But the wonderful thing is, our lives are laid bare before God. He sees us as we are, but he does not reject us. Maybe you're not a Christian this evening, and God sees you as you are, and you're aware of your need, but His good news for you. He doesn't reject you. You see, here's the second thing about that encounter. Jesus looked at Simon. He saw not just who he was, but he saw what he would become. Turn to the second element. Notice the second part. You are Simon, Jesus says... Son of John, you will be called Cephas. Or some people pronounce it Cephas. The correct pronunciation is Cephas, but don't argue about that. You see, there's an opposite danger to the one we've mentioned. There are some who don't come to Christ because they don't feel uh, they're fit enough yet. But others who say, well, it doesn't matter who you are. Jesus welcomed tax collectors, prostitutes, the outcasts of society. If Jesus were here today, he'd be down meeting with the criminal classes, the down-and-outs, the gay community, whatever it is. That is true, but he wouldn't leave them there. Jesus calls Simon as he is, but he plans to change him into what he will become. Jesus calls us as we are. He doesn't wait for us to become something we can never be by our own efforts. But he doesn't leave us as we are. He calls us as we are, you are Simon. But he plans to make us something different, something better. You will be Kephas. Now, you need to look a little carefully at what Jesus says here. Uh, Jesus says you are Simon. Simon is the Greek form of a Hebrew name, and Peter was a Jew, of course, of the name Simeon, which was one of the tribes, sons of Jacob, one of the tribes of Israel simon is his given jewish name and his father is a man called john or in the aramaic language that people spoke jonas in england we would call him simon johnson thought about that that's what he is by birth and nature jesus looks at him and says you're simon johnson but jesus says i'm going to make you something different He says, I'm going to give you a new name which will reflect your character. You'll be called Kephas. Now, Kepha is an Aramaic word, the language that Jesus spoke and his disciples. And it means rock. And the Greek form, this is a bit of language, but don't get too confused. The Greek form of Kephas is Petros, from which I get and we get Peter. Jesus is telling Simon what he will become if you want to put it in colloquial terms, Jesus looks at him and says, you are Simon Johnson, but you will be Rocky Godson. What a wonderful thing, that when a person encounters Jesus, when we encounter Jesus, he accepts us as we are, and then he starts to make us what he wants us to be. You see... God is in the rock building process. He's the rock maker. You may have heard the story, the famous sculpture, sculptor. And someone went to his studio, and there's a huge big block of marble. And the sculptor announced, he said, this is, gonna be, this is a horse. And the person said, it doesn't look like a horse. How are you going to make it into a horse? And he said, I'll just chip away anything that doesn't look like a horse. When Jesus calls us, he promises to change us, to make us like himself, to chip away anything that doesn't look like Jesus. But like the sculptor with his block of marble, this takes time, and it can be a very painful process as he chips away at our lives to make us what he wants us to be. Now, notice something very encouraging as we move on. That's a kind of... How's that time? let just keep moving. It, this is the kind of first half. But after this first encounter, Simon is anything but a rock. Uh, the NIV Study Bible, if you, young people, if you've not got any Bible at all, or commentaries or anything, the NIV Study Bible is a good start. It's got notes on each verse, and it's got all sorts of indexes and concordances. Just one Bible that, that may, you may find helpful. Uh, but the NIV Study Bible says this on this verse. Peter was anything but a rock. He was impulsive and unstable. Jesus named him, not for what he was, but for what, by God's grace, he would become. And as we read through the gospel accounts now from this first encounter, we discover that Peter, Peter was anything but a rock. He's more like a jelly. Oh, he thought he was a rock. He thought he was steady, reliable, but he was anything but. Paradoxically, before he could become the rock that God intended, he needed to be broken. And his self-reliance needed to be shattered. Let's look briefly about how this happened. What, what, what I want to call the rock-making process, because that same pro- process takes place for all of us in different ways. And I, I want to just very quickly and simply look at three incidents from the God which have the same elements... That's Peter's first encounter with Jesus. Future promise despite present reality. Here's the first one if you've got your Bibles Matthew 16, verses 13 to 23. That's on page 983. This is a key moment in the life of Jesus in his ministry, it's a kind of watershed. The disciples have been with Jesus for approaching three years. And Jesus asked them this question. Who do people say that the Son of Man, the term he used for himself, who do they say I am? And they answer, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Then Jesus turns to them. They've got the most evidence to And he says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter comes straight out with the right answer. You are the Christ. The Son of the Living God. Now, notice the commendation of Jesus. And notice the terms he uses again. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, Simon Johnson, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this Petros, Cephas, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Jesus addresses him by his original name, Simon, son of Jonah, and tells him that his answer didn't come from human reasoning, but divine revelation. He says, you as Peter, the rock on which I will build my church, on your confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. This does not mean that he was some kind of Pope with successors, let alone that he was infallible, as what immediately follows demonstrates. If Peter's the infallible Pope at this point, then the very next thing Jesus says to him disabuses us of that. Because Jesus turns and then begins to explain to his followers that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. And Peter immediately takes offense. And he says, no, Lord, this should never be. And he rebukes him in the strongest terms. But Jesus turns and rebukes Peter. Immediately after his commendation comes his condemnation. Jesus turned and said to Peter... Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You're not the rock, you're a stumbling block. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Now, do you see the two things together again? Here's Peter at this point. Jesus says, you will be Peter on this rock, I'll build my church. And then he says, get behind me, Satan. You don't follow at all. He doesn't say, I know I just said that, but I didn't realize you hadn't got it straight. Sorry. No, he says, yes, you still are Peter. The original promise stands, but it will still take time. The, the rock making process is still at work, the chipping away of Peter's self reliance. Another incident follows shortly after which demonstrates this even in starker terms. It's the evening before the suffering of Jesus. He shares this final meal with his disciples. Here's the second reference, Luke 22, verses 31 to 34. That's on page 1058. If you look at verse... 29, Jesus says, I confer on you, his followers, a kingdom. Just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he turns and speaks to Peter, having made this incredible promise about future glory. And again, notice the name he uses. And he speaks of future restoration. Promise, future. Simon... Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. This must have been a bombshell to Peter. He can't entertain any thought that he would turn back. For he has no... Conception that he will ever turn away. But Jesus' promised restoration still stands, despite Peter's self-reliance. But he replied, verse 33, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Yet Jesus knows that he cannot and will not do what he says, but will fail him miserably. But Jesus' promised restoration will follow, despite Peter's certain denial. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Now, can you still see the faith that Jesus has in Peter? You are still Simon, he says, but I've prayed for you. And when you have turned back, Jesus knew he would fail. He knew he would turn back, not if, but when. And of course, shortly afterwards, Peter did deny Jesus three times before a servant girl. And when he heard the cock crow, he remembered the words of Jesus and Luke records, he went outside and he wept bitterly. I think Peter at that point probably felt all was lost, all the promise of the future. But the promise of Jesus still good. He is Simon, but he will be Peter. let just pause for a moment because I'm very aware that you, there may be people here who feel like Peter at this point. You may be a failed follower of Jesus. Maybe nobody else knows that you know it and feel it. Maybe it's obvious to everyone. you just turned up this evening in church again. But Jesus, if Jesus called you and you responded in repentance and faith, then I have good news for you. His promise still stands. In the words Paul wrote to the Christians in Philippi, you can have confidence that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. But you need to respond again to the call of Christ. To follow him afresh. And this we see in a third and final incident from the Gospels in the rock making process. Third and finally, turn to John 21, right near the end of John's Gospel. This is on page 1090. At the empty tomb, resurrection morning. An angel gives the women a message for the disciples. Mark records uh, that he actually says, you're looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified, he's risen, he's not here. See the place where they laid him. And and Mark records, he says, but go and tell his disciples and Peter, I'm going ahead of you into Galilee, there you will see him, just as he told you. So Peter and his six uh, fellow disciples return to Galilee, to their old occupation, and they embark on a night's fishing. But they catch nothing, and then they return to shore, about dawn, and a stranger on the shore calls out, as they're about 100 metres away, and tells them to try once more. The result is a catch of fish so heavy that they cannot haul it in. And John realises who the stranger is. Verse 7, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it's the Lord soon as Simon Peter heard him say this, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and he jumped straight into the water. And the other disciples came behind, dragging the boat and the incredible catch of 153 fish. And Jesus has prepared breakfast for them and after the meal, he singles out Peter. And once more, notice he addresses him by his original name, his given Hebrew name, and asks him a personal question in which Peter has to face up to failure. Verse 15, when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? not quite sure what the these is. Some people think it's the fishing. More likely, I think, do you really love me more than all the other disciples? Because you were the strongest to protest that if all else fail and desert you, I never will. Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Three times Jesus asked the same question with slightly different words until finally the question hits home, verse 17. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. You see, finally, Peter's self-reliance is broken. Jesus was right all along about his failure about his self-confidence. Jesus does know all things. He knows Simon better than Simon knows himself. And now he will be what Jesus intended to make him, Peter. And so Jesus then goes on to speak about the future destiny. Peter, verse 18, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And so at this place, where he had received that original call all the way back that we read in John 1, he receives a fresh call from Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, follow me. Maybe this evening you need a fresh call to follow the Lord Jesus Christ after failure. Because he intends to make you, but only he can make you by his grace. So Simon becomes Peter, a bold spokesman for the Lord, filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, unwavering in the face of threats and imprisonment, and even death itself, as the prophecy of Jesus is fulfilled. Tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down under the Emperor Nero in the early part of the early 60s AD he became what Jesus intended all along you were Simon you will become Peter so let me just finish by speaking to two groups of us here today for some of you perhaps today even in this service is the first encounter with Jesus Christ maybe God has shown you your need you can't hide from him But he sees what you can become by his grace and power. You need, you see, a new name and a new nature. A new life is possible. Whoever you are, don't sit there saying, yeah, it's all right for him to say that, but you don't know me and what I've done and and who I am. The Lord Jesus Christ specializes in taking the unpromising people of the world. Won't offer you 10 million pounds in bonuses. Not looking for the top flight people, although he sometimes uses them. But he chooses people who are the poor, the despised, those who count for nothing in our world. And he calls them. And Jesus Christ died to bring you back, from God, back to God. You need the forgiveness for the past that is only available through his death. He is indeed the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But you must come to him and allow him to take control of your life. That's just a start. But you must start somewhere. Why not here today? God will take you as you are. And make you what he wants you to be. But maybe you're someone who's encountered Jesus in the past and you've failed him badly. Maybe like Peter, you've let God down, denied the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe your heart is filled with bitterness and sadness. You see no way back. But I want to encourage you that God has not given up on you. He still wants to finish and intends to finish what he began in you when he first called you. Now he comes to you again and he says, do you truly love me? That's the test. You need to come back and ask for his forgiveness. He will receive you and he can still use you. Follow me is his renewed call to you today. Maybe today is your day for a fresh encounter with Jesus Christ. See, if you're a Christian, remember that like Simon Peter, you have two names. What you are by nature, what you are becoming by God's grace and power. See, God is in the rock-making business. The materials he chooses to use may not be very promising. But because he is God, he can work miracles. It may be painful at times, and you may be being chipped away and made the person God wants you to be, and you find it pretty tough at the moment. Stay with it. God always does it in love. What is necessary to shape and make you what you could never be by your own efforts? The question is, are you willing? Am I willing to let him? Let's pray together.